want to start a two-part message series with you this week. Guess what part I'm going to start with? Part one, that's right. You guys are even brighter than the second service. Some of them didn't get it, but you guys got it. Two-part series. It starts today. We're going to wrap it up next week. And the title of the message is, Why We Can't Fail. Or if you don't like contractions, Why We Cannot Fail. <laughs> Depending on you grammarians out there. Why We Cannot Fail. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or look at it on the screens, because this is the verse I want to start off with. It says, in fact, let's fill this place up with the Word of God. Let's say it all out loud together. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, thanks be to God who sometimes leads us into triumph, who oftentimes, if you try hard enough, leads us into triumph. No, what's it say? It says, now, thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph through Christ, right? Always in Christ. He always leads us into triumph. You know what? what who, who inspired this word to be written? Those words right there. Now, we know that one of the apostles, they penned it, but, but who gave him the words to speak? Who was that? Was it mama? Was it some guy that thought, let's encourage people down the road? No, it's the very Holy Spirit of God saying, concerning you here today, God always leads you in triumph in Christ. He always leads you into triumph in Christ. Now, here's the deal, though. There are some times when we don't feel triumphant. Isn't that true? Have you ever felt like you're not going to triumph over something, like it's kind of triumphing over you? You look at the scoreboard, and you don't feel like you're up, right? Like, man, this thing, is it going to go into overtime or what? Like, like when is this going to be over? When, am I ever going to win here? But the Bible says this about you, that God always leads you into triumph in Christ. There's some things that God says about you that you've got to get convinced about in here and in here. It's things that you already want to be true, but here, it's so funny. I think every one of us wants to be accepted by God, approved of by God, welcomed by God, right? Every single one of us wants to be able to come into the presence of God, and God's like, yeah, that's my boy, that's my girl right there, like, come on up here, like, welcome. Every one of us wants to come into the presence of God and feel like God looks at us and smiles and says, oh, I'm glad you're here. And you know what the funny thing is? Is that's how God already sees you. That's how he already relates to you. When you read the Bible, you can't get away from the fact that God looks at you like that, that God treats you like that. That's, that's what God already, how he already sees things. So what you want and how God is, it's already there. The problem is I hear these other voices. I look in the mirror and I tell myself other things. I compare myself to others and I don't feel triumphant. I look at my past, my history, my, ex my experiences, and I see a lot of losses on my record, right? I, I, I listen to what other people say and it doesn't make me feel victorious. And so looking at those things, hearing those voices, 
internalizing that, when I approach God, I don't look at it from his perspective. I look at it from an earthly perspective. And here's the deal, though. The Bible says that you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ has died and he's, he's been risen. He's raised from the dead. Therefore, what you need to do, you need to set your mind on things above where Christ is. And when you set your mind on things above, then all of a sudden you can see it from his perspective. And you start to see verses like this where he says he always leads you into triumph in Christ. And you can become convinced of that on the inside. And then you relate to your situations from that vantage point. As opposed to looking at it as somebody who's lived a life of defeat, you start to look at your life as someone who cannot fail. And people who are convinced they cannot fail, you know what they do? They win. They sing that song, all I do is win, win, win. I never lose, 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 right? That's the song whenever I play ping pong. That's the only part I know. So if you're like judging me because there's other words in it, I don't know those other words. I just know that right there. And when I play games like with my daughter, tennis, I don't care that she plays, you know, all every day. When I get out there, all I do is win, you know, <laughs> that's me right there. I like to win. How many of you guys like to win? Yeah. You ever hear that dumb saying, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play, play the game or, or, you know, it's not whether you win or lose as long as you're having fun. I'll tell you right now, winning is fun. So that's partially true. I, I like to play to win. And you know what? God wants you to win. That's how he sees you as someone who always wins. That's how he sees you. And he already looks at you as loved, acceptable, approved of, as a follower of Christ, in Christ. He does this. He looks at you and he smiles already. And you know, I kind of think that, like, if you really like somebody, like, you know, you have like a, 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 a like, do you like me? You know, you do the thing, pass the note, whatever, do you like me? I like you. Or however it works with you, that's how my wife and I communicate. Anyways, if you have somebody you really like, and then they come up to you and they see you, and they feel like you don't like them, and they kind of back away in your mind, you're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I kind of get this picture like God is like that, like, what, what's wrong? Like, why are, you, why are you acting like that? Oh, because I failed. <laughs> no, no, you, you always, I always lead you into triumph in Christ. That's how I see you. Oh, but, you know, but look at this, my experience and my history. That's your problem. You're looking at your experience and your history, and you're convincing yourself about things down here as opposed to things up there. The things when you are convinced over what God says up here, that it'll affect you down here. But you, you, you get stuck arguing with God about what's happening down here and telling Him how it is. Well, that's the wrong vantage point. Some of you aren't convinced, so I'm going to give you more. Look at this, Romans 8, 37. Yet in these things, all these things, we are conquerors through Him who loved us. Is that what it says? What's it say? Is that what it says in your Bible? More than conquerors? And all these things, we are more than conquerors. And all these things, we're not just conquerors. We don't just win. We dominate, right? We're more than conquerors. We take over. We didn't just defeat the enemy. We took his, we took his stuff, right? 
We're more than conquerors. But the Bible says it's not we could be, we might be, we should be. Wouldn't it be great if? But the Bible says to people who don't feel like conquerors and probably have a list of being conquered things where they've blown it. But the Bible says, yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors. What things? That's the question I have. In all these things? Well, what things are you going through? <laughs> what, what things are you facing? What things are you dealing with? When the, the apostle was writing this, he said some things like this, verse 35. He said, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or endangered? In danger or threatened with death? Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that, neither, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And all of these things, we are more than conquerors. That's not a comprehensive list of things that you're more than a conqueror in. He just gives a little minor list of some things that he was dealing with recently. <laughs> what have you been dealing with recently? What have you been going through recently? You cannot fail. You cannot fail. This is how God sees things uh, regarding you. Look at Philippians 4.13. You probably memorized this early on in your walk with the Lord. Say it out loud with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. That's a verse that we look, ourselves at, at, look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, right? Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Have you ever felt like, I can't do it though? <laughs> I can't do this one thing. I can't overcome this one thing. I can't make that decision and tell them no and stand up for myself. I don't know if I can handle school and work and a family at the same time. I don't know if I can lead or uh, uh, operate at that level at work. They're asking a lot out of me. I don't know if I can step into that ministry if I have anything to offer. I don't know, you know, if I can face my fear and tell this person, no, you won't walk over me anymore. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, through Christ who strengthens me. This is what the Bible is saying about you. You cannot fail. You can do it. And until you're convinced of that there, you might be sitting there uh, battling, going around and around, never walking in the victory that already belongs to you. And you'll be embarrassed to approach God. You'll be embarrassed to approach other believers who love you. You'll sit there living at a lower level than God has called you to. God says that you cannot fail. But that's not the title of my message. The title of my message is why you cannot fail. You see, we can just pump ourselves up with positive sayings and even, even principles of Scripture that, you know, sound faith-filled and positive, and you should say those things. You, you don't want to deflate yourself with negative sayings, right? You're a loser. You stink. Nobody likes you. You got a terrible smile. You're, no, you're a, you know, an accident waiting to happen, whatever. We shouldn't sit there and meditate on those things, though we do too often. So often people end up doing that, 
and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You ever hear people say things, don't speak that into existence. Now, we can take that a little bit too far. Like, you know, some people never use the word dead, you know, because we're people of, of life, and they're like, lock the dead bolt. No, it's a light, life bolt, right? And don't go down that street, it's a dead end. No, it's a life end, right? <laughs> don't say that. You can go down there and die because you spoke that into existence. Listen, those words, <laughs> you, can, you, you can take it uh, beyond what it means, Okay. But there is a reality that, that, man, when you are not blabbing your mouth, but you are speaking from a place of faith and agreement with God's Word, that changes the atmosphere. And when you are contradicting God's Word and speaking from a place of doubt, you know, uh, death and fear, that changes the atmosphere. And either one of them can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Look at the results you're getting and think about the words you speak. Okay, but that's not my message. My message is why we cannot fail. Why we cannot fail. I'm going to give you three, three areas that Jesus has already given us victory in. Jesus has already given us victory. These aren't the only three areas, but three areas that we often stumble on. And I want to tell you why you cannot fail in these three areas. Number one is regarding the law of God. Why you cannot fail regarding the law of God. You know, the Bible sets a high standard. God's law sets a standard of perfection. I mean, even if you, we were to stop at the Big Ten, right, the Ten Commandments, and like no other gods before me, don't make an idol and bow down before it, don't take the Lord's name in vain, honor the, you know, God on the Sabbath there, you know, honor the Sabbath. Just the first four, which deal directly with God, then you get into the next six, which deal directly with other people, you know, honor your mother and father, don't, don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, don't commit adultery. Um, I don't know if I covered them all right there. But if you go through that checklist, I bet you some of you are like 10 for 10, right? I know that I'm thinking I'm at least 9 for 10 of breaking that stuff. And here's the deal. You get over out past the big 10, and then you get into a lot of the little ones, and then there's crazy stuff like, man, don't wear cotton and wool together, and, and, and don't eat you know, shellfish and, or catfish, and, and don't eat these animals that chew the cud. And I'm like, I don't even know what cud is, right? I have to look that stuff up, and things with like, you know, their hoofs are, are split like this, and, and these laws, and, and then there's all these ceremonial laws as well as all these other things that you're supposed to do. And here's the deal. You can approach God and, 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 or be a approached by religious people or go to a church and you can come in feeling not so great about yourself, but you leave feeling terrible. Like I am convinced that I have failed. But the Bible says, it tells me that I cannot fail and there's a reason why. When you compare yourself to the standard of God and his, his righteous requirements, he sets the bar high, and you can try and jump over it, but most of us realize, man, we just need to do limbo because we have no, no chance of getting over this here. And when we, when we approach God's word like that, we can be condemned. Man, I am never going to measure up. All these different things, these, this call to... to to righteousness really is a call to perfection, and I can't do it. And we feel bad. We beat ourselves up, and we don't walk in victory. But look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. See, the law is perfect, but the law is weak through your flesh. It points 
perfectly the way to God. The problem is that you can't get there because of your flesh. It says, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Everybody say, God did. God did by, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Like us, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, what, okay, come on, Presbyterian Church, stay with me right here, right? Let's give me a little bit more feedback because this is good. Now, listen, what you could not do to get yourself in the clear according to God's requirements, God did on your behalf. Amen? That's what I'm talking about right there. Listen, you couldn't do it. And, 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 and remember, the title of the message is Why You Cannot Fail. It's not that you have to try harder to do better, but it's because God sent His Son. That's why you can't fail, because you can't do it on your own. Listen, what I'm going to talk to you about here, I'm not talking about leaning on Jesus like a crutch. Some people say, you know, Jesus is just a crutch. No, Jesus is my stretcher, right? I'm not leaning on him to help me by. I have no ability to make it. And so I'm not leaning on him for support. Man, I am completely like on him, carry me. That's what I am when it comes to God. It's, listen, the reason why I cannot fail is because he did not fail. Because he does not fail. And when we change the perspective, we stop going to battle thinking, I'm going to battle. But no, we start walking in victory thinking, he already won the battle. There's a battle going on, but this battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. That's what the Bible says. But why am I still fighting it? Why am I still fighting it? Because guess what? You're going in with God, and you're walking in his battle. We'll talk a little bit more about this in just a second. But, but listen, don't beat yourself up with the Bible. Don't beat yourself up with the Bible. Don't beat yourself up with the law of God. Oh, good, so I don't have to live righteous or holy or do the right thing. I did not say that. I tell the person next to you, he didn't say that. Stop accusing him, right? Listen, this whole teaching of grace is not so that you can just do whatever you want without any consequences or, or no big deal. That's not it at all. We... We should still live righteously. We should. Uh, we need to understand, like, like it's okay to eat shrimp, right? It's okay to to eat some things uh, that that maybe the dietary laws and some of the ceremonial things. Uh, there's there's plenty of those things where God said, "All right, that was for the children of Israel, and that's all fulfilled and that's done." But listen, you shouldn't murder, right? Oh, but Jesus fulfilled the law, so I can commit adultery. Nope. <laughs> You shouldn't, you know, the, the, understand your Bible, read your Bible, but, but know this, that even if you don't break any of those things, that's not what makes you right with God. It's completely what Jesus did. Here's the second thing. Many of us know that in order to get, to get saved, it's uh, by grace through faith. Like, I'm totally trusting what Jesus did for salvation. But believers, those who have done that, you've prayed that prayer, you've given your life to Jesus, you're born again, but somewhere along the lines, you can start to live with a performance mindset, thinking that I have to somehow be good enough to be acceptable to God for this continued relationship. And that's still not what gets you acceptable to God. It's still not what you do. It wasn't what you do to get you there. It's not what, what you do that's going to keep you, Right? Understand that, because otherwise there's a lot of Christians, and then we become self-righteous, and because someone does something that we don't do anymore, we don't struggle with that, we condemn them. 
or maybe someone else is living better than you and you're comparing yourself to them, listen, you can't do that. You do need to live righteous and holy. You do need to repent. You do, you do need to do that. But that is not what makes you acceptable to God. Jesus is what made you acceptable to God. And because he did that, live righteous and holy. Amen? And you can. And you can. Not only should you, you can. Condemnation free. And when you recognize, oh, I blew it. You still love me? Was that covered by the blood? Okay, it was. Oh, Lord, <laughs> it's all covered, right? Once and for all. But, but here's the deal. There's something between me and God now that, that, that is it's weighing right here. And so, so I confess it right now. In Jesus' name, I confess this to you, God. You're faithful and you're just to forgive me and to cleanse me. So I receive forgiveness and cleansing. Amen. It's done. Done. Second thing is this, the demonic realm. Jesus already has given you victory over the, the spirit realm. Demons are still real today, just as, as, as they were real in Jesus' day. Some people think, well, now, you know, because we got the Bible or because we're more enlightened or whatever, we just deal with our flesh. Well, you do deal with your flesh, but uh, the greatest trick of the enemy is to convince us that he doesn't exist. And so then you start beating yourself up or other people when the attack, sh- or you even blame God when the attack really should be back against the enemy and recognizing what he did. Look at Colossians chapter 2. It's going to tie in with the first part, but then it'll get to the second. It says this, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has, ta- he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The law, the perfect law, right, and, and the requirements to be perfect, pure, holy before God, those things that point us to God but we couldn't live up to, Jesus did completely. That's why I'm saying why we cannot fail is because of what Jesus has done. That's what Jesus has done here. And so he took those things and he nailed them to the cross. He fulfilled every one. It's like he checked off every box there, and he nailed it to the cross, and he said, this no longer counts against you. It counts against me right now. I'm taking it all upon me now. In, in my place, right, right here, I'm giving you my righteousness. That's what's being accounted to you. Now, listen, when he did that, something happened. Not only did it give us absolute victory in regards to the law of God, but that also moved into victory in the spiritual realm as well. He says, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed them. That means there's demons walking around like this. They have no arms. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what it means. <laughs> what happened to your arm? Lost it and beaten up. No, that's not what happened. Listen, disarm them. <laughs> I don't know if they have arms anyways, but it took away their power and their authority, took away their weapons. When he eliminated the requirements that were against you, now the accuser really has nothing to accuse you of. You know how the enemy would come and accuse you about how weak you are, how much of a failure you are, how many times you've messed up, you've blown it, you, don't, you know, all those things. Not only do you already recognize it as if that's not bad enough, but he comes to kick you while you're down. 
and he uses that against us. And, and God is saying to us, when I took away the, the law, when I took away the requirements that were against you, now he has nothing to accuse you over. And all your failures, all those things, you know what, what happened? They're covered under the blood. They're covered under the blood. And so when the enemy tries to accuse you in the court before God, God looks at you and he says, I, I, all I see is Jesus. All I see is Jesus' blood. Where, where's the person who failed? Where's the person who blew it? Where's the person who, who is off track? No, all, all I see is Jesus. You see, I died. I died. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet the life that I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God. When he was crucified, I was crucified. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You know, you're just as acceptable to God the Father like when you come into the presence and throne room of God, you are just as acceptable and have just as much access to him as if Jesus himself is walking up there. Because you're not coming because of what you did. You're coming because of what he did. And your identity is in Christ. You're not that old person. You're a new creation. Well, I don't feel like it, and I still have some of the same old habits. Well, listen, conv- find out what God says about you. Stop worrying about what you say or others say about you. What does God say about you? Well, I got to deal with this stuff. You deal with it with God. Deal with it, but don't get stuck in it. He said he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them. You know, that picture there is when an army would go out to battle and they would conquer the enemy. You know what they would do? They would take the hostages, they would tie them up, and they would parade them through town and saying, look at what happened to our enemies. And that's what Jesus did when he was on the cross. He, it's the picture of him gathering all the, the spiritual hosts and powers that are against us, and he ties them up, you know, by their feet because they're disarmed. He ties them up and he marches them through. And you know what the town would do, the city would do, they'd start cheering. They'd start, you know, rejoicing because their enemy has been defeated and they can look and see their defeated enemy. Now, listen, the enemy of our souls in the spiritual realm still tries to harass, to bully, to accuse, but he has no power over you. You cannot fail. And the reason why in this next verse, it says, triumphing over them in it. Jesus triumphed over them. When, we, when God says to you, I always lead you into triumph in Christ, that's what he's talking about right there. That because Jesus has triumphed, you triumph. Because Jesus has victory, you have victory. Because he has uh, overcome, he's fulfilled the law, guess what? You have victory over it. Because he's overcome the enemy, you overcome the enemy. This is how God sees you right now. But my condition, yeah, forget your condition. Focus on your position, right? You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. When you read, write this this down, Ephesians 1 and 2, you find out when Christ was resurrected from the dead, he was seated above all the powers and principalities, and they were put under his feet. They're like his footstool. And then the Bible says, and you were seated right there with him. That's your position in Christ. And so the enemy is under your feet as well. Last one, last one, the thought life. The biggest battles that we face oftentimes are in our mind. 
and you cannot fail. When it comes to this battle in your mind, it's right here. The thought life, you cannot fail, and I'm going to tell you why. We already know why, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you why anyways. Okay, listen. We have, listen to this. We have, I keep saying listen. I'm going to digress for a moment. When you speak a lot and you have these things like, you know what I'm saying, or um, or yeah, he was doing this and stuff and stuff. It's good for you, you, you to recognize that and then cut that stuff out. Okay, I'm going to get back on point right here because I'm going to start cutting that out. All right, listen. All right. <laughs> you listening? <laughs> because I'm sharing some things in my mind, and I'm going to go ahead and share some other thoughts that cross through my mind. The battle is in our thought life so often. Uh, the things that you do, the decisions you make, it's because something went, happened in here. Sometimes you can be thinking about things for so long, and you're wrestling with them and, and, and fighting with them, and, and you're, you're beat up by it. And God wants you to have victory in your thought life. It affects the things going on around you. In 2 Corinthians 10, it's verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. How many of you guys know that we have battles, though, in this fleshly realm? There are battles that are going on, but that's not where we fight at. But sometimes we find ourselves stuck in the midst of them, don't we? And, and you can go through these battles in the flesh, at work, at home, whatever, and you go away from that environment and you carry that battle in here. And it's still going on and you're arguing and you're mad and you're angry in here. How many of you guys have ever had an argument in your head with somebody who you haven't even had that argument in life yet, but you know they would say this. And so you say this and you know they're going to say this back. And in your head, this happened to me in the shower like numerous times. Man, I'm arguing with people. I don't know he would say this. I don't even know why he acts like that. And he doesn't act like that except in my mind. Or you know you're going to have to have a conflict with somebody, you know, some hopefully resolution. But you know what they're going to say already. And so you work this out. And then he said, and I said, and he said, and I showed him in your mind. And you won. And then you get in a conversation, and they don't even respond like that. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. And you're like, what? Man, you were supposed to say this so I could say this and prove, you know, in your mind, arguments going on, and we can act in a certain way towards people. How many of you ever had a dream, and you wake up, and you hate that person next to you? I don't believe you. I mean, I wake up next to my lovely wife, and sometimes I'm smiling because I'm in her presence, and uh, I expect her to smile because she's in mine, and she's mad. What are you mad at? Because you did this in my dream. I didn't do it in real life, though. Yeah, but it was like it was real. What? In our heads, we have this capacity to think thoughts that, that uh, can really set us up for victory or failure. How many of you ever got mad at someone in a dream? Anybody? Yeah? How many of you ever fell in love in a dream? Right? You're like, oh, that person was so nice to me. And then you see him in real life, and you're like, hey, and they're like, I have some recurring dreams. One of them is I'm finding money. And oftentimes it's like under a couch or something. There's like this change or dollar bills or something. And it happens quite often. And, and, and so often I wake up like, and I think, oh, I want to go back to sleep because I was just about to grab it. You know, I saw it, but I didn't get it. You ever have dreams like that? I have this other dream that I'm riding a wheelie on my bike and I can just ride it like nonstop, just whew, 
And I know like someone would, like Freud or someone would say, that's because you're seeking balance in your life or whatever. I'm thinking, no, I just want to really ride a, a willy. And, uh, but what's funny, it, this, is, this has happened over years, like 20 years, I can think back, like I, I have this dream, I'm riding my bike, I'm riding a willy. I've had the dream so many times that when I'm dreaming it, I tell people in my dream, yeah, I dream about this. That's how often I dream about that, that in my dream, I tell people about it. Isn't that crazy? In your mind, there's a battlefield that's going on, right? And listen, you can... I said it again. I said, listen, hear me now. <laughs> you can say the ugliest things in your mind about yourself, about others. These thoughts, you can hear stuff going on that's telling you about you. Fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, despair, hopelessness. These things can come in. Man, this isn't going to work out. We start worrying about our future, thinking about things that haven't happened. They might not even happen, right? And they're in our mind. And we're thinking about them. Some of you even right now, some of you are like, man, I forgot about it. Now you brought this up. It says, we, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. A stronghold is a belief system that has become entrenched on the inside of you, and you're acting a certain way because you, you have this ungodly belief, and, and you're, you, you can't seem to get past it. It's a stronghold right there. It's got a stronghold, you know, for a place for the enemy or just, the, just this, this thought life, this approach, and it's in the mind there. He says, casting down arguments. Those arguments that are running through your head, you're having with people. Some of you guys have probably had arguments with me in your mind, and I didn't even get a chance in real life to, to like, you know, say anything. But you're like, yeah, I know that preacher right there. You say this right here about what I'm doing right now. And I don't know. He doesn't know what I'm going through. And I, if he'd say this right now, but I'll tell him this right here. My gosh, sorry. <laughs> Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in your mind. There is a battle for who's on top, and there are other things that want to, to uh, God's supposed to be preeminent up here, but they want to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, so this is more preeminent in your life, and this is more of a focus in your life, exalting themselves. So, so for example, in the midst of worship, in the midst of the Word, the midst of our time here, the midst of you opening your Bible daily, because at the Rock we read our Bibles every day. And so you open that up. But where, where God is supposed to be first place, all these other thoughts go through your mind, things you have to do, things that are yet to be resolved. I've got something like that, that that I realize is just, it's been one of those little nagging things in the back of my mind. In January, we rented a car and uh, I went, I got there. The guy said, okay, it's out there in the field, you know, in, in the parking lot, go find it. And went out there, found the car, um, picked it up, drove straight to the hotel. When I got out, I walked around. I noticed there's two marks on the front. Now, I hadn't hit, hit anybody or been hit, and, and, uh, but he didn't say, look. And, you know, I, I've rented enough cars. I should know better. But nevertheless, he didn't say, look. I took a picture right away, sent them to my wife, and I said, hey, can you call them and let them know? She calls them to let them know that there's these marks, and they said, yeah, yeah, that, that was already on there. It's in the computer. Oh, okay. I dropped the car off and I just make note, hey, you guys know that these marks right here, we called about it. And, and they said, yeah, look in the computer. Yeah, that's already in the computer. So like a month and a half later, I get a letter in the mail 
that says you owe about $1,100 for the repairs of this vehicle. And they have the picture which circled the marks that I had pictures of. And I'm sitting there, this is ridiculous. Now I'm kind of getting worked up. I know you guys, don't, you guys don't get worked up over that, but I got a little worked up over it because, because we dealt with this, and I asked twice. So I call the insurance adjuster, and I, and I get the first person because the other one's not available yet, and she, said, she looks up, she says, yeah, we see this was already marked in, marked in the computer. I said, oh, okay, well, I'll leave a message for this person, left a message for the adjuster, whatever they were, and uh, I'm good. I'm cl- you know, this is, this is done with. Well, then, next thing you know, I get another letter saying, hey, you owe this money. And I'm thinking, I thought we dealt with this already. So now I'm spending more time calling them back, and, and they don't answer. So I have to leave a message and get a message back because I don't answer either. <laughs> and then, you know, it goes back and forth. And here we are about six months later, and it's not resolved. And you know what thoughts go through my mind? In the backs, and sometimes they push their way to the front. And they push God out of the way, and they push up to the front of, what if, what if they go through their paperwork and they say, no, no, there was nothing there, and they still try to make me pay for this? Well, I know I have insurance that covers this, and you know, maybe your card, maybe my card covers it too. I haven't even looked in that, because it's a matter of principle. Like, they're ripping me off. And these thoughts can push themselves up to the forefront against and exalt themselves over the knowledge of God. What is God going to do? God's the one who justifies me. God's the one who defends my cause. God's the one who says my enemy comes against me one way, but he'll cause them to be defeated, flee before me seven ways. The knowledge of God says that, but these things will push their way up and say, what if? What if? You can't live your life in the what if. It says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing everything, every thought, say every thought, Every thought into captivity to the obedience, not of you, but of Christ. You see, you've already been given the mind of Christ. You have a renewed mind. You're to renew your mind, but you bring your thoughts to the obedience of Christ, and you have weapons to do that. I'm going to tell you what that, that primary weapon is. It's the Word of God. You meditate on it. In fact, it says whatever is pure, holy, noble, uh, honorable, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about those things. So you have to find that stuff. You have to dig for it. And then you have to choose to do it. Otherwise, these bills come in the mail and you thought you had it resolved and then they send it again. And you're like, what? And then the thought of, man, maybe this won't work out and I might have to pay all this money. You choose to meditate, that means think and speak at the same time. Engage your mind and your words, speaking the word of God over these things. And that's how you bring every thought into captivity, obedience to Christ. Because he already has the victory and you cannot fail. And he is the reason why. He is the reason why. I don't know what you needed this morning, but I'm going to take this message. I might even listen to it again. Take notes on it because God is speaking to us this morning.